Yeah, done. Ready to just riff on whatever you got. So we'll just uh, do a brief intro. Um, so what should I call you? <laughs> Supreme ruler? Uh, do I get to pick? <laughs> like, yeah. Sure, yeah. What do you mean, what do you call me? No, like, um, so you're director of marketing or is that? I, my title is head of marketing. Head of marketing. You can also use Prim Ruler. Welcome to Precon Geeks, the podcast where Precon folks geek out on all things pre-construction. Every week, we'll talk about trends impacting the construction industry and emerging tech. You can also tune in to hear exclusive interviews with industry experts. Excited to hear more? Hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts now and visit www beck-technology.com. Welcome to Precon Geeks, your home for all things Precon. I'm your host, John Reich, and today we are joined by our special guest, the head of marketing at Beck Technology, Julie Uval. Welcome, Julie. How are you doing? I'm good, John. How are you? I am doing fantastic. Had a wonderful weekend helping my son finish his Eagle Scout project, so that's a big momentous occasion for us because now I don't have to worry about it. So it's that's fantastic. Great. Congrats to him too. Yeah, he's still got a little bit to go, but he's not quite done. But we're, the, the finish line is in sight, which is a wonderful thing. Because so, then that's he can phenomenal. just relax and have fun with it rather than have to do all the the work. So, but uh, thank you for coming out today. We are very excited, or at least I am very excited. I don't know if Suzanne is, but she looks like she's excited. Um, very excited today. We're going to do a mailbag. And Julie is going to be reading the questions and hopefully give me some feedback on my answers that and tell me how stellar they are and how great they how great I am. So that's we'll see how I'm this here goes. For, John. That's my entire job to to let you know how great you are. I mean, that is marketing, right? It's it's hype man. You're you're my hype man. So you gotta Oof. give me well we'll have to do a whole episode on what marketing is. <laughs> probably true. That is probably a good topic for another another podcast. Yes. So uh on that, we'll just you want to just get right into it and get going? I or? do. So I'm I'm really excited about this episode because we have gotten some people to write in to um, the podcast. And uh, John, no pressure, but I think people want to hear your opinion and your expertise on some of these things. So let's get to the first letter. It says, what's up, Precon Geeks? I recently received a request from a potential client to give a bid for a project. The client is a large corporation that has a reputation for being very demanding and difficult to work with. <clears throat> Not like we know what that means. They have a lot of specifications and requirements, and they expect the lowest price and the highest quality. I mean, that's kind of going across the industry. They also, I'm, I'm adding some color here to the letter. So uh, the person who's written in, I promise I'll, I'll stop doing that in a second. But also, these hit home. Um they also tend to change their mind often and make unreasonable requests during the project. Yeah, I feel that. I have heard from other contractors that this client is notorious for soliciting bids from multiple companies and then using the lowest bid to negotiate with the preferred contractor. They also have a history of delaying payments, disputing invoices, and suing contractors for minor issues. Some contractors have even lost money or gone out of business because of working with this client. My boss wants me to prepare a bid for this project, but I'm reluctant to do so. I feel like it would be a waste of time and resources, and that would, uh, sorry, that it would expose us to a lot of risk and liabilities. 
I also don't want to compromise our standards or reputation by lowering our prices or cutting corners. However, my boss thinks that this is a great opportunity to land a big contract and make a lot of profit. He says that we have the experience and the skills to handle the client and that we should not be afraid of the competition or the challenges. How can I convince my boss that this is not a good idea? Is there a way to decline the request politely and professionally? John, what do you say? I mean, this is a novel concept. I've never heard of a client that operates in this manner. So I'm, I'm, I'm obviously joking. This is a very common occurrence uh, in our industry, unfortunately, is very high standards, very stiff competition. And, uh, you know, idea, we don't have ideal clients everywhere. Like sometimes you have to have a client that you're not necessarily excited to work with um, for, for a variety of reasons. Um, as far as why, uh, how to tell your boss is not a good idea. Hopefully you're in a situation where you can have that conversation with your boss and you can be open and honest and say, listen, this is a, this is a terrible job. Why are we doing this? And I think that's how you should approach it is why are we pursuing this job? You can have all your reasons for, for saying no. And he might have reasons that actually override yours that are more valid as to why you should do it. Um, and that's frequently that is the case. Sometimes you end up taking pursuing a job that it's a terrible pursuit for for the precon side, and and a lot of the people working on it might not love the situation. But the overall company goals and the overall business needs needs to pursue it anyway. And so I think that's that's really what you need to get an understanding of first is uh, what are the overall company goals pursuing this? If it is truly just going to go win a big contract and make a big profit, um. Me personally, I would still push back really, really hard on that. If there are other valid reasons of like, hey, this is a great market to get into that we haven't had any success in previously. We feel like this is going to be a lower bar for entry. Those are really valid reasons to get something like this on your resume. But I think that the scary thing to me on this um, the, is it's a problematic client that has had all these issues before and and the boss, your boss is saying, I'm going to make a huge profit on this. Now, I don't think those two go hand in hand. Um, they can, and and you you can make good money on projects with difficult clients, but um, I think you need to make sure you go in with your eyes open, build contingency plans on everything, and, and have it known that, yes, we might take this and might not make a big profit on it, but it's still an acceptable job. Like, play out that, gameplay that scenario out. And if it's still something your company wants to pursue, then you just have to do it. I mean, sometimes you have to do work that you might not necessarily prefer. And this might be one of those cases. And I think that's really good advice. So it sounds like, you know, alignment on company goals and giving your boss as much clarity behind some of the frustrations that your company may come across. And I think to your point, like have contingency plans in place because whenever, yeah. you know, stuff hits the fan, you want to make sure that you are prepared. Um, to react accordingly, to continue with your company brand and building that up. And you don't want to um, shoot yourself in the foot on future projects with other clients because of how you right. respond to that. So. Yeah, I mean, and take it as a challenge and say, hey, you know, let's go, you know, let's be the first client. Let's be the first guy who works on one of these projects for this client that comes out good. Um, there, there are ways to pursue it and make it a good thing for your company, for sure. Um, and but I do I really, really stand behind the voice your concerns 
you know, with your boss as soon as possible, because sometimes you've hear you've heard things from the sub market that he might not be aware of and vice versa. So you need like there might be a new person running things at that at that firm. So if that happens, oh, well, that changes the game plan completely. So there might be a personal relationship that drives you to it. There's all sorts of mitigating factors. You just make sure everyone's aware of what they are. Awesome. All right, let's move on to letter number two. Precon geeks love the show. Hey, fan, we are thankful that you're listening to our podcast. Um, this person writes, let me jump right into it. I'm an estimator for a construction company, and I have often have to deal with incomplete or inaccurate plans from architects and engineers. Sometimes the plans are missing important details, such as dimensions, specifications, or codes. Oh, my. Other times, the plans have errors or inconsistencies that make it hard to calculate the cost of materials. This causes me a lot of frustration and stress, as I have had to spend extra time and effort to clarify the plans or make assumptions that may not be correct. It also affects the quality and accuracy of my estimates, which can lead to disputes or losses for my company. How can I avoid making mistakes or overlooking something that in the plans? And what are some best practices or tips for estimators who face this problem? All right, so this is a uh, very common uh, complaint I hear in pre-con as a whole. Uh, let's just cut right to it. You're never going to get complete plans. It They just, they plain old don't exist. Um, so, John, I'm going to ask, like, if you're never going to get 100% complete plans, do you have an estimate of, like, of what percent is you can trust? So, like, is it 80%? Is it 5%? Like, where are we thinking the, the completeness is of some drawings coming in? Well, I think... If, if you're waiting to get plans that you say are 100% complete that show everything on the job, um, you're, you're, you just can't get there. There's there's too many moving parts. There's too many factors. Um, if you're talking about a complete set of, say, architectural, so single discipline complete plans, um, you could probably get something that's maybe 90 to 95% complete for like a structural set or a uh, architectural set or a mechanical set. The issue is that then you have to take all of those disparate disciplines and combine them and coordinate them. And frankly, the the industry is such now on the design side that no one is paid to do that work. Um, the fees in architecture, I know everyone complains fees in, in construction are, are low and you know, we're being commoditized. Uh, design is getting the same crunch and, and they are getting paid less and less and jobs are becoming more complex and they're getting paid less and less and asked to do it faster and faster. So something has to give. And unfortunately what gives is the, the quality of the product. And um, I just don't think there's a single solution. I think a lot of times it's hopefully you work with an architect enough times you get to know what they're not going to cover, what they will cover. You can start making inferences based on their previous work, what they've asked for uh, outside of the, directly documented on the plans. Um, I think the other thing that weighs into this, though, is um, most of the time our owners are asking for pricing earlier in the design process. And, you know, so originally, you know, 30, 40 years ago, it was design, bid, build, delivery. And that was they're going to design the project. Architectural plans are going to be done. Then they go out to bid and you could count on a relatively complete set of plans to bid from. Now we are basically going to a GMP off of a DD set 
maybe earlier. Um, and by nature, DD sets are not complete. And so you have to go in and you have to fill gaps. So, um, so how do you avoid making mistakes and overlooking those things? So first, I would say you, you need to have some sort of a cost history, historical cost database that tells you what the project should cost. Um, that could be, I mean, obviously, Backtech, we want you to use our product to build a nice historical database that's very robust. You can mine it for a bunch of different data. I could tell you how much a Class A office building is in different cities. You can do all of that. But your historical cost database could also be um, the 40-year pre-con veteran who just knows how much stuff is. And I mean, that's it's a very old school way of approaching it, but that also it works. I mean, it, it it's there and they're successful because that method, that method works. Um, so the first thing you have to do is make sure that you are uh, knowing what the project should be and, and knowing where it should land. Um, second, to avoid uh, missing something, I mean, you you really have to have some field experience in terms of looking at the plans. You, you need to know how a project is built. You need to know what should be there, not necessarily what is shown. Um, and that way you can, A, ask intelligent questions, and B, you can make intelligent assumptions. Because um, you're going to have to do both. And ideally, you're asking questions that show an answer. And so that, I think, is the best way to go about it. Um, anytime you put in a pre-bid RFI, don't just ask a question like, what is the answer? Write in and say, here's my assumption. Is this correct or is this valid? Um, you're going to get a lot better response that way. Um, you are going to make sure that you, you you can price it the way you want to, because I think um, one thing that, that is in scaling of architecture and construction in general is we're always waiting for someone to give us an answer. So I, I'm always preference of um, provide an answer and let them tell you otherwise, because I think that's going to you're going to get a better response that way. Um, yeah, I mean, you really just have to get in there, uh, find all the holes that you can start just filling them yourself. Like, don't wait for an answer. Just start filling them in so you get a complete picture of what it is. Um, and just, you know, ask questions as much as you can. Ask questions of other estimators, ask questions of the guys who are going to be building it, the PM, the superintendent, the, the people who are actually going to be out there going. Um, and just, you know, try to uh, build it in your head as you're going, and that usually helps because then you'll, you'll find where those gaps are and you'll be able to make some assumptions that are good. You know, John, I did hear uh, you play a little bit of hype man there for our own products. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you some marketing snacks. They're like Scooby snacks, but better. All right. Awesome. Sweet. I love snacks. They're my <laughs> favorite. All right. Let's get into letter three. Um, I'm a big fan of the podcast. Thanks, big fan. We're glad you wrote in. I'm a fellow pre-con geek and have been asked to prepare a bid for a project that is scheduled to start in three years. The project is a large-scale mixed-use development that involves multiple buildings, underground parking, landscaping, and utilities. The client has provided us with some preliminary drawings and specs, but they are subject to change as the design process pro progresses. I'm not sure how to approach this um, task as there are many uncertainties and variables that could affect the cost and feasibility of the project. How can I account for the inflation, market fluctuations, material availability, labor rates, design changes, and contingencies that may occur in the next three years? I feel like this is a crystal ball question. Um, they go on to ask, how can I present my bid in a way that is realistic, competitive, and flexible? How can I protect myself and my company from potential risk and liabilities from that may arise from such a long-term commitment? 
I'm perplexed by this project. So John, give everyone the wisdom of the crystal ball that we have here at Beck Tech. I mean, if we had one, let's just face it, Julie, we wouldn't be here. We would be, at least I would be sipping drinks on a beach. I mean, you would be wherever you wanted to be. We'd be on yachts and enjoying the good life. Yeah. So if I had the, if I had the golden goose on this one, if I had the perfect answer, obviously we'd be employing it, but I think a lot of it's very similar to what we said on the last question. Um, Recon, especially, um, we are there to identify risk and to de-risk the project as much as possible, provide what we feel is the appropriate answer and qualify that. So I think that's that's the key part is you have to qualify what you're doing and how you're doing it. Um, if the project is being pushed out three or four years, um, I think the best practice, and this is what I always ask of my trade partners and this is what we, the way we always presented it, I wanted to price it today because then I could say this is how much it's going to cost today because we should have a fair degree of confidence in that. Projecting the future, if anyone knows how to do that, they're probably making it big. So just put in there, this is what we're we're basing our numbers off of in terms of escalation. Uh, there's a lot of indexes out there. Um, Turner Cost Index is a good one. RS Means, ENR, or Engineering News Record, they have good ones. Um, there's the, the Federal Reserve of St. Louis actually has a really good uh, construction uh, cost index that you can then use to project future growth as well. Um, again, pick one of those and just write that one. And like, you don't have to know what the numbers are going to be. You just rely on someone who is an expert in that and say, they think escalation is going to be 1% a quarter for the next six years. We're just going to use that number and qualify it off of that index. And that way it gives the owner uh, somewhere they can go that or if they are a financial wizard expert themselves, if you're working for Warren Buffett and he says, I want to carry this, that's fine. He, you, it's his money. He can carry whatever contingency he wants to, uh, but you are just providing data points for him to react to. And um, so I think one of the things I would say is um, don't be scared of that process. I think that's uh, most pre-con people are, well, what if I'm wrong? I mean, Sorry, but if you're projecting a job three years out, I can guarantee it's wrong. There's no way that you're going to be right on every part of your estimate. If you're lucky, you're within a couple percent on the overall project cost. And that's really the, the, the mindset you're going to have to embrace if you're doing projections that far out. There's just no other way around it. Yeah, I like it. I like the, um, the referrals you gave there for some data points for the industry to use. So that's awesome. All right. The last one I have for today is letter four. Um, starts off with, I hope you can help pre-con geeks. And that's what we're going to try to do. So is that like a R2-D2 holocraft message? Like, help me, <laughs> pre-con geeks, you're my only hope. Is that- you know what? I think that's a great idea. We should try that. Um, hope you can help pre-con geeks. Frustrated doesn't cover everything I'm feeling about my current situation. I feel like I'm not valued or respected by the directors and executives of my firm. They often ignore or override my estimates, and they expect me to produce unrealistic numbers that fit their budgets or agendas. They also blame me for any problems or delays that occur during the projects, even though they are not related to my work. They they treat me like a disposable tool rather than a professional with expertise and experience. I love my job, and I take pride in providing accurate and reliable estimates for our uh, clients. 
I've been working in this field for over 12 years and I have a good reputation in the industry. However, I am tired of being treated like a second class citizen by the upper management. I feel like they do not appreciate or understand the value of my work and they do not support or protect me from unreasonable demands or criticisms. How can I cope with this situation? Is there a way to improve my relationship with the directors and executives? How can I assert myself and stand up for my work without jeopardizing my career? And should I look for another job where I can be more respected and appreciated? So John, what is your hot sports take? Uh, this one's this one's a tough one for sure. Um, so sometimes, I mean, it, we're in uh, in pretty much any industry and in any job you're ever going to have. Sometimes you're going to feel unappreciated and undervalued. That's just there's always going to be times like that um, because you have a unique expertise and unique set of skills. Um, I think a lot of people feel that way, but. That's not necessarily the intent of upper management. So sometimes they can make dismissive comments without meaning to, and they can uh, make you feel like you're undervalued. But you know, there, there's they can make up for it in the long run. Um, this does not sound like that situation, unfortunately. This sounds more like it is a uh, situation that you know, for lack of a better term, you might want to start looking at a way to get out. Um, sometimes, uh, sometimes you are in a situation where they just don't value the, what you bring to the table and you need to, the only way to show that value is to remove it from their tool chest and then they'll realize what they've missed out on. Um, but I will caution that sometimes you can leave for whatever reason and it doesn't change the situation. You go to another firm and you have the same, the same thing occurs. So. Uh, just because you're leaving doesn't mean the grass is always greener. It it you can leave and go into the same kind of a situation. Um, that can be tough. Um, so, what I would suggest is you need to have some real heart to hearts and preferably in a one on one situation with some of these upper executives and upper management. Um, if you can't directly go to if it's like a president of the company. And you're an estimator and you might not be able to get time with them, but you can find someone else uh, up the food chain a little bit. So you can either go to your department head and talk to them. Uh, you can go to levels above that if you need to and find out, you know, talk to your coworkers, uh, find out how they're being treated and how they feel. And if it's a systemic problem in the entire department, then you can take that to your department head and, and hopefully elevate at that and say, hey, this is going to be a real issue. There's going to be some morale problems going forward. Um, if it's something that's just to you, then like I said, that might be time that you need to look at getting out. Um, yeah, that one's a, that's a tough one. That's a tough situation to be sure. That's no one wants to ever have to be in that one. Yeah. You did say something that, um, you said, you know, pre-con professionals have unique experiences and unique set of skills, which makes me just automatically think of Liam Neeson and everyone is like the Liam Neeson from Taken. And uh, so now I'm going to hold all the pre-con pros to that level of awesomeness. But I think to one of the things that you talked about is, you know, if you start to see the systemic approach, you know, across the company, I think, you know, using data from, hey, these are the estimates I've submitted. This is what actually got sent to the client. And then where are we off as a business? I think giving yeah. that type of data to decision makers in the company help to say, hey, these bad practices, these bad habits that we have, 
are actually hindering the company and having those conversations going forward. So I also want to make sure that people understand we're not we're not advocating for everyone to jump ship and try to go find, you know, this yep. amazing unicorn that you want to go work at because that may not exist. Um, but I think there's also ways that pre-com pros can help um, educate their internal teams and their internal company of, you know, what are best practices in the industry. I would also say that this is going to require probably should have touched on this earlier. This is going to require a little bit harder look at yourself. Go back well, that, and look that's at That's hard estimates. work, John. No one wants to do that. <laughs> I'm not saying look me. I'm just saying in general, the, the you know, outside yourself. Um, go back and, and, you know, check your work. And I don't mean to be like, oh, I know my estimate was good. Go see what you actually went to contract for. Go see what the job actually was built for. Go compare yourself to um, what you what the number should have been. I mean, we have a very concrete business in that way. We can go, I can give a number and I can see what that number should have been at the end of it. Um, there's always reasons that it might change and there's, some of those can be valid, but don't sugarcoat it for yourself. I mean, if you've been doing good work, stand up for that good work and talk to them about why you need to be treated better. If you find you've been doing bad work and that your numbers have been off, then you probably need to look at something you're doing and fix that. And then, then you should be able to get the treatment you're hoping to, that you deserve. So, Deep thoughts with John Reich and pre-con geeks. I like this one. I don't know about deep thoughts. It's not, I'm not Jack Handy, so that's uh, <laughs> I'm not quite that funny. Awesome. Well, John, that's all the um, letters that we have so far. And I'm going to encourage people, if you're listening and you want to get some uh, topics, ideas brought into the podcast, send them our way and we'll we'll add them to uh, the roster of things for our pre-con geeks to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Send send anything you have in uh, to precongeek at beck-technology.com. You can also go to our website, again, beck-technology.com and go to our community and you can uh, submit uh, posts on there that can add to what we're going to talk about. Uh, you can also we are going to be sponsoring Precon World. You can feel free to sign up for Precon World. It's our, I don't know, what do you call it, convention, group, meeting. It is the most awesomest place for Precon people to get together in their community and build up some rapport, network, and find out how people are doing Precon really well in the construction industry. There you go. That's why she's had a marketing right there. Just for that <laughs> off-the-cuff comment, non-rehearsed, just nailed it right off the bat. It was great. So well, that'll wrap us up for today. Thank you, Julie, for coming and chatting with me for a little bit. You've been wonderful. I had a blast. Thank you. All right. Well, we will uh, catch you guys next time and have a great week.